This is a question and answer session with Joel titled Precepts and Perfection, recorded March 29th, 1992, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. So uh, let me try and uh, make the question or the topic more succinct. How do you deal with uh, this contradiction you find in your life between the image you have of yourself and then the discovery that you uh, fall short of it? Is that a fair? That's well put. Yeah. Okay. Who else has that problem? <laughs> Everybody's hand goes up. Who else has another concrete example? Sort of general, but it's concrete. Just I'm not wanting to get angry. angry. Hey, that's good. Excellent. Yeah, we have an image of ourselves someone who doesn't get angry. Who's above anger. Or just knowing that it's not very helpful. But I mean, I know I'm not above it, but it's mm -hmm. disturbing all the when it arises. How about somebody else? I have um, in the same position as Mary. Uh, I have thought of myself as a reasonable person who doesn't resort to anger, and uh, I found that uh, that's that's not me at all. Uh, and I, I do get angry, and it's, it was a great shock to see that and come to terms with that. This is a problem that, uh, regardless of whether you're on a spiritual path or not, would be uh, something that caused suffering in your life. It doesn't necessarily arise just because you're on a spiritual path. Uh, everybody has Im an image of themselves. It may not be a saintly image. You may have an image of yourself as someone who's powerful and always in control, for instance. And then you get frightened and you uh, uh, freeze up and you don't know what to do. And then you hate yourself for that. I had a friend of mine who, uh, in Hollywood, a producer, who is actually basically a very nice guy. And I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating in this context. He was, be partly because he was a very nice guy, he got taken advantage of a lot. And whenever he'd get taken advantage of, he'd come storming the office and he'd say, all right, no more Mr. Nice Guy, screw them. And he, you know, he was going to be tough like everybody else, but he couldn't maintain that image. And so he suffered. It's one of the primary causes of our suffering in the world, in this world. The thing that a spiritual path can do for you, first of all, is to uh, pinpoint for you this suffering. So for most people, it's a kind of a general thing. Or they notice it when it arises, uh, but they don't think of it in that terms. They think that they actually are someone who never gets angry, for instance. And so this uh, annoying or worse uh, feeling arises and they either try to deny it or push it away or they give into it and then afterwards they feel a little guilty and they forget about it and go on and think, well, I won't, it won't happen again. What a spiritual path can do for you is make you realize there is no escape that way, that that's futile. And it's very simple how that works. Simply by watching. Simply by being mindful. Simply by not forgetting. So that if you pick anger, for instance, as something to be mindful of. And then you watch what happens when anger arises. 
and then you watch the, how it contradicts your image of yourself. You don't like it. It nevertheless arises or it sits there and simmers underneath someplace. And how you feel uh, bad, either because you gave into it or because just the anger itself makes you feel is suffering. And you watch this over a period of time and you will convince yourself that you can't solve the problem by trying to eliminate anger and by trying to maintain this image. So what can you do? I mean, is it hopeless? Then maybe, maybe just life is suffering. Maybe it's just something you have to put up with. That's part of life. It's part of suffering. You just have to put up with it. No, then you might notice something else, though, that your focus is on trying to deal with the anger, to do something about the anger. But the suffering comes from a conflict, which always has two sides of it. There's no problem with the anger, per se, but there's a problem with the anger not fitting in to your image of yourself. That's where the problem comes. So if you can't do anything about the anger, you might then turn and start examining what is this image of myself. And I'll jump ahead a little bit here because this I don't want to make this sound uh, too uh, easy. It's very simple, but it's not easy. Over time, watching this image of yourself, you find that this image of yourself is literally just imaginary. It's something your mind has created. It's not real. And when you have that insight, and the, the, to the degree that you have that insight, you're liberated from that image. It's not something that you uh, can do, can force. This is why the essence of the spiritual path, the essence of spiritual wisdom that you develop on the spiritual path is insight. It's something that happens spontaneously. All you can do is be mindful, is observe, is remember to observe, to be mindful. And then it'll happen. It's like the Zen archer whose arrow flies. Not because he willed it to fly, but after uh, practice and practice is a certain point, that arrow is just spontaneously released. This is what the... Uh, uh, a great part of the meaning of getting to know yourself, which again is sort of the core question on the spiritual path, is about. Who are you is really the question is, who do you think you are? Find out who you think you are. And is it really you? If you see it isn't you, then the uh, half of the contradiction disappears and anger isn't a problem. Now, the uh, precepts that are taken on a spiritual path, from the point of view of a mystical path, it's not necessarily true of a fundamentalist sort of path, are understood to be aids to making this discovery. And it's a great uh, misconception, and it's a habitual misconception. It's not something you can, again, do something about uh, through your will, that Taking precepts creates an, a new image for yourself, called saintly spiritual person, and that then the task is to live up to that image. 
taking the preset from a, from a mystical point of view isn't about trying to live up to an image. It's about, about uh, seeing who, who you really are in contrast to an image. So you take uh, the, the image of how a selfless person would act. And you see, okay, uh, the image of a selfless person is that they are, in the hospital situation, giving and charitable when dirty people come around. If you don't have that uh, image there, then you you might uh, feel that it's you might feel it's suffering and it's uncomfortable these dirty people are around, but that it's sort of okay. Your mind will justify it. You won't learn anything. But when you see the contrast of of uh, what your image is compared to selflessness, then you notice your image. It stands out. It's, it's much clearer. And the suffering it causes is much clearer, or the fact that it causes suffering. In fact, a saint doesn't have any image. This is an image you've created out of the preset. And it has a certain therapeutic value in this situation. True selflessness is not acting out of any image. It's not defending any image or protecting any image. It's realizing that all images of yourself are imaginary. Quite literally, they're imaginary. Is everybody following what I'm saying here? Have you ever seen uh, your own image of yourself? A very good place to observe it is in your fantasies. Your, I mean, your little daydream fantasies. Not, not even, not even the wildly drifting ones. The fantasies you have about uh, how you're going to present yourself in an interview, for instance, a job interview. You rehearse in your mind. You see yourself walking in, calm, cool, right? Alert enough to be uh, interesting, but relaxed enough to show you're confident. And you get there, you know, and your hands are shaking, and your, your palms are sweating, and and uh, somebody asks you uh, what school you went to, and you go ah, ba 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 ba. But you, the, the, when I say an image of yourself, I don't mean something obscure. I mean something that you can actually see. And we don't have just one image of ourselves. We have multiple images of ourselves, for different roles. Another way that you eventually can see that you aren't any of these images is because they're not around all the time. If you were actually that image, then it would be there all the time. If the image left, then you would leave too. But that isn't the case. When you take a preset, it's really to guide you to your own discovery of what selfless action would be like. What selfish action is like? Yes. Well, you'll, yes. The first thing it does, it shows you what selfish action is like. Exactly. And then it guides you. And it guides you always in a, in a, in a negative way, in the sense that it doesn't tell you what the, the selfless thing to do here is, but it points out to you what isn't selfless. And you know it because you're suffering. It's a very, very good clue. 
Whenever you're suffering, no matter how selfless you may think you are being, because you've got some image of what selflessness should be, if you're suffering, you're not being selfless. True selfless activity is joyful. That's your big clue. You may be straining to be a saint, and you may have actually perfected the outward motions and actions, and you may have even reigned in your thoughts so only noble and charitable thoughts arise. And if you're not happy, it's selfish. Mother Teresa of Calcutta doesn't do what she does because it's what she's supposed to be doing, whether she likes it or not. She does it because it's the only way she knows how to live that's joyful. It's a pleasure to her. I mean, in a certain sense, you could almost think of it as being completely selfish. You read her books and, and the sisters that work with her. One of the most beautiful stories that, I've, uh, uh, that comes out of this was a, one of the novices who came and started working with her. And she always tells them, by the way, this, we have a videotape if you've ever seen it. Uh, she tells the new arrivals, if you can't do this wholeheartedly, don't stay here. And then she uh, told us this, uh, this new arrival, she said, when you are uh, working with the uh, revolting, disgusting people lying in the streets of Calcutta who are really revolting and disgusting, full of maggots and worms. We have always sometimes a romantic image. She goes around and they're, they're a little thin, maybe, you know, the people that she helps. But they are worm-eaten and, and vomit, full of vomit and covered with excrement, you know. And she said, uh, just remember the, the, uh, what Jesus said, you know, and he said, and she, this is something she quotes all the time that, uh, when you feed the hungry, you're feeding me. When you visit the prisoner in a, in a jail, you're visiting me, you know, so forth and so on. And so this young woman who had gone out first time in Calcutta, gone out in the streets and she came back and she was radiant and glowing. And she said, mother, she said, I've been touching the body of Jesus all day. She didn't go through the streets of Calcutta inwardly going, you know, holding her nose and saying, oh, I've got to do this with an awful thing. I've got to drive myself. She went with radiance and joy to do it. Now, you can't notice this. You cannot force yourself to be radiant and joyful. You see? And that's another word. Sometimes the precepts work very well. You start off forcing yourself to do this way. You discover you can't. This is all part of the spiritual path. This is a true spiritual path. It's about self-discovery. It's about facing reality, and particularly facing the reality of yourself. If you're not willing to do that, you cannot get anywhere on a spiritual path. If you're not willing to see it, to use good old-fashioned Christian fundamentalist terms, what a wretched sinner you are, to really confront that, then you can't get anywhere on a spiritual path. You have to know your own wretchedness. And then you have to know that you're absolutely helpless in the face of it. And then finally, I'm jumping way ahead here on a spiritual path, finally, the core insight, the core realization is that you don't truly have any will here. 
you personally, individually, do not have self-will. That's separate from the will of the whole thing. Everything happens, happens by the spontaneous, spontaneous radiance of consciousness itself, if you like. If you are a Christian or if you're a Muslim, you say by the will of God. If you're a Taoist, you say it's just the activity of the Tao. If you're a Buddhist, you'd say it's the, the manifestations of the uh, Dharmakaya, the Buddha's mind. All happening effortlessly, radiantly, full of joy. And that you're, it's your own delusion, this delusion that you are something separate with some little individual separate will off here, which creates all your conflict. This is why uh, in all spiritual traditions, if you read them, in all mystical traditions, even in fundamentalist traditions, you know, this whole business of will is the great stumbling block. It's the hardest thing for us to see. You just have to keep practicing. You have to keep practicing and you have to keep failing. And it's through your failures that you learn uh, you're doing something wrong. We learn far more from our mistakes. And these aren't really mistakes. We learn far more from trying to do something and not being able to do it than we do when we do something and it just works. Oh, it just works, so we keep doing it just because it works. We don't know why it works, whatever, it just works. But you try to do something and it doesn't work, you have to examine. You have to try something else. That doesn't work. The spiritual path works by elimination, so to speak. You eliminate all these strategies and all these uh, ideals and ideas and images you have of what it's all about. And when, you're, when they're all gone, then you see what it's all about. These are excellent, too, really a great question and great examples, because this is uh, the nitty-gritty of a spiritual path. It's really coming to grips with yourself. And in the moment, as you find yourself, all the, the real little uh, causes of suffering and forms of suffering that exist in your life. And if you don't do that, then all the spacing out you do in nice uh, on retreat or in meditations or in chanting or whatever is just, uh, you know, uh, another form of addiction and attachment and escapism. Oh. Yeah. Could you go more into depth in, into that um, comment you made that we'll discover that we're powerless in, you know, with, with this... Um, um, is it powerless to, well, let's say in the example of being um, uh, angry sometimes, it, or am I powerless to keep anger from arising, or um, am I powerless even to behave in a, a, a reasonable manner with anger? <coughs> well, let me ask you this question. And as a question, not that you can answer or that I'm asking for an answer for, but it's a question to ask yourself. When you find that you're angry, mm -hmm. ask who is angry. Ask who doesn't want to be angry. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? 
You use anger in this situation to investigate. Who am I here? Who is the I who's suffering from all this? Who is the I that got angry in the first place is a good question. Usually get angry because our image is attacked. You know? I think I'm a very clever person. When somebody points out something stupid I did, it gets me angry. There's also anger that about situations that are hideous, which I would think. Give us an example. Well, some atrocity. I don't even want to think about it that clearly. You know, an atrocity. Uh -huh. You know what an atrocity is. Um, would you say worm-eaten people dying in the streets of Calcutta is an atrocity? I'm thinking of human inflicted. Of course, that really is a human inflicted. Um, yeah, I just want to stick with this one for a moment, because this is interesting. Because it's not the way that Mother Teresa reacts to the same situation. Well, I would be angry doing something for somebody when you have the power to help. It's one thing. Say a mother is tied up and somebody is, you know, torturing her child. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do. Well, again, it depends on what you mean by doing here. Stopping, stopping the... Uh... But Mother Teresa isn't stopping the pain and suffering. She's not a social worker in the streets of Calcutta. She's not out there to uh, change the situation. She's simply expressing her love and joy. This is very, is, is very interesting here. And do you know Mother Teresa's work at all? Have you seen the video or anything? I, I know. Okay. It's a quite different the way a social worker would approach the situation. Or even a decent person. You'd go to Calcutta and you say, this is shocking. This is horrible. We've got to do something. Do you know what I mean? And then you would, you would get angry at the, at the system, at the rich people who, you know, who go through the streets of Calcutta, uh, completely ignoring this. Uh, loaded with luxuries and uh, wealth, you get very angry. You get angry enough to become a revolutionary, I know. I was a Maoist revolutionary for just this reason, for seeing atrocities in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But who is it that's angry, and what has made you angry? Isn't it an image of what the world should be? Isn't it something that you've created and this, you look in the world is not what you want it to be. The world isn't what I want it to be, so I get angry. Where is engaged Buddhism? How do you, I mean, why bother if that's how it is? That's the secret. That's the very thing to find out. Is there another way of acting in the world other than out of anger, frustration, greed, the things that normally motivate us? The selfish things. That, you see, this is, it's truly, and I mean this in a technical sense, it's selfish to want the world the way you envision it, which may not be the way somebody else envisions it, by the way. They're jerks. Right? They're jerks, right. <laughs> very good. Do you see what I mean? This is what I mean. I don't mean, uh, I mean, when I use the word selfish here, I mean it in a quite uh, technical sense. You know, I want to strip it from, from uh, the, the, the moral uh, 
of feelings associated with it. To be selfish is to want the world to be the way you want it to be. And when it isn't the way you want it to be, you get angry. And there's suffering. Now, interestingly enough, what is anger itself? It's a form of energy. What does Mother Teresa have? Boundless energy. Supposing there was that situation, someone suffering in the street or whatever, and it, it evokes this energy. Now, supposing that same energy seen from one point of view as anger and, as, and suffering, from another point of view as love and compassion. Supposing there's no difference, truly speaking, and it's only the way we see it. Putting a few cases in my head. <laughs> Try it. Something that I can that helps me that maybe bring it more down to, to the ground level is that same non-acceptance of the world happens. You know, when you notice that your reaction to a dirty person or something, and then and then that image, that jag between your image of how you should be or what the precepts are and how you're reacting a certain moment, and then your reaction to that that clarity of how you're acting then it's the same cycle of like I shouldn't be like this the world shouldn't be like this and there's anger against yourself or against that thought that dharma that whatever you want to call it and so um, for me it's really helpful to just in those moments to try to just open with patience and kindness to what's ever there um, there's more stuff, right? <laughs> but this is very good. This is what this is part of the reason for doing a meditative like, practice. You know, you're angry that you're angry that you're angry that you're angry. <laughs> you know, and it, that's what keeps keeps the cycle going. You know, all these different images of like this should be like this, this should be like this, I should be like this. This is karma in action. And, yeah. No, no acceptance at all. You know, emotions, anger, disgust, whatever. It's all you know, non acceptance that is based on the eye. On, on how you perceive you. Acceptance is the form of the way. Now, let's be careful here. This is true, but again, acceptance here is used in a technical sense. It isn't the kind of acceptance we think of as a resignation. Oh, we just have to accept the world that's full of evil and, you know, this and that. The kind of advice that your parents give you, you know, at a certain, when you're idealistic and young. Uh, acceptance is the basis of all any wisdom, it is to face reality. To see this is reality. Not to allow your mind to delude you with fantasies. This is the reality. You can never, ever respond appropriately and wisely in any situation until you can see the situation just for what it is. Accept it just for what it is. In that sense, acceptance. Right, but you can say no with love. You can say no to something. Certainly. You know, atrocities no. or whatever. Sometimes, sometimes no is the only way to express love. Right. An alcoholic relative who keeps demanding, you know, money for uh, alcohol, or the compassionate thing is not to give more money. Usually, I won't say in every situation. No can be a very, very powerful form of love. So, acceptance doesn't mean doing nothing 
or let me put it this way, acceptance doesn't mean nothing gets done. It's out of this basic attitude, this basic uh, uh, open consciousness that things get done, that wise things get done. Now, I'll leave it on the question of who's doing that, those things. One of the most interesting things I think you'll find, if you really try to practice these things in detail, if you can find some situation in your life that's recurring, uh, that uh, it's a habitual situation that you notice that comes up again and again and you feel uncomfortable with. Your suffering is coming from your response to this situation, whatever form. So let's say getting angry. Okay, let's say, let's not take a big world shaking things. Let's take something that you normally uh, uh, encounter in, in daily life. Your boss. Let's say your boss makes you angry. And so this happens once a day, maybe. Something happens and, and your boss makes you angry. And then you think, uh, you watch and you see, I only have two choices here. I either allow myself to get angry and then I'll get fired, or I stuff it and stow it and I, and I, you know, simmer and brew the rest of the day. And you go back and forth. You have these two in your mind. You go back and forth. You have these two choices. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you can see that this, this anger is based on an image, it arises from an image. The boss may be keeps telling you what a jerk you are, for instance. And if you can see that your, your dilemma comes from holding on to this image, if you can let this image go, this isn't a question of finding logically some other way to respond in that situation. The minute that image is let go, something spontaneous can happen. You can respond to your boss perhaps with a humor which you never even realized you could do before. You, the, suddenly the whole situation op opens up and you're no longer stuck in this either-or dualistic uh, attitude. This comes from hanging on to this image. The minute you let that image go and then his little insult goes right through you. It's like you're transparent. There's no image there and it's like a little arrow and it's got nothing to stick into. And it goes right through you, and uh, you may laugh. You're open in that sense. Do you see what I'm talking about? It's not you. It's not thinking, oh, well, I'm going to go be humorous, as though you're developing a new strategy. It just happens. And the more you discover this, the more relaxed and accepting, in the terms we've been using it, you are. The more trusting you are that... Uh, you know, whatever the situation is, an appropriate response will be there. Even if that appropriate response is absolutely nothing. You know, there are some situations which we can't do anything about. We have to accept that too, in a certain sense. It's not, we, it's our image that we can fix everything. And we have to give that image up. I'll tell you one uh, story here about images and the role they play uh, and the problems they are on a spiritual path. This is a story told to me uh, about a Tibetan master 
who had uh, a, a big monastery and lots of monks, and he was getting older, and he had one uh, most advanced young uh, monk who had learned all the sutras and memorized all the sutras and done years of practice and achieved the very high states of samadhi, <clears throat> and he was looking for a successor. He knew he was going to be passing on this old uh, master. And he looked at this young monk, and he knew he would be a great Dharma teacher. He was so close to really penetrating to the truth. But there was something in the way, one last obstacle. And he thought about it, and he thought about it. And I have to tell you, in Tibetan culture, farting is a real faux pas. It's just a, a big no-no. You just don't. It's really embarrassing. So they were going to have this one of these big festivals they have, I don't know, go on for 10 days, and monks and lamas and mucky mucks come from all over, and they gather, and uh, they all get dressed up in the finest robes and whatnot. And this uh, head disciple, this young monk, was going to officiate at this, or be, play an important part in this ceremony. And there was one part where he had to come in, and he had to bow to his master, full prostration. So the master went to the cook, and he said, put something in his food, so give him a lot of gas, you know, the day before. So he did put some, I don't know, sour, sauerkraut or something in. And uh, sure enough, in the middle of this festival, thousands of monks are gathered, you know, they're chanting, and ringing their cymbals and gongs and stuff. And, and the monk walks down the aisle to bow to his master, and he bows down and... <laughs> and he's enlightened. No, but you see what it is? This last obstacle was this pride. This little bit of, I'm the greatest. He knew he was the head, you know, the, the leading student in this monastery. He knew how smart he was. He knew he'd achieved all these states of samadhi and whatnot. The one thing, though, he didn't do was fart in public, he thought. The one little image he had himself, he hung on to. You know, I'm not the sort of monk that farts in public. And so when the master did this, now look, Here's a question of uh, a perfect example of compassionate action, which can, could be very cruel. Do you know? When you when you uh, give your younger brother and sisters, you know, when you were kids, you gave them X lax to eat. <laughs> you were trying to humiliate them. You know, this wasn't done out of love and compassion. This is essentially the same thing. It's the same action, but here done out of the greatest love and compassion, because it opens his mind gives him the greatest gift you can give anybody, and that's to discover the truth for themselves. This is a wonderful story about dealing with images, about how a spiritual path works. I'd like to uh, go back, and just start off with emotions. As human beings, we have them. <laughs> and... I think if we have them, they're a natural part of our being. And so they get expressed. It's hanging on to them when they happen, that's the screw-up. That's been my observation with myself. But I think having them is just part of being a human being. Well, I said in the beginning that anger isn't really the problem. We always think that the emotion is the problem. The, the emotion's only a problem when there's an image that it contrasts with. For some people, for instance, uh, tenderness is a problem. 
you know? A tough guy doesn't, you know, tough guys don't cry, you know? Tough guys don't get all choked up about uh, people being uh, lying in the streets of Calcutta. They're not supposed to. And so if they do, this becomes a problem for them. It's never the emotion that's the problem. It's the emotion in relation to the of what you think you should be, rather than seeing who you really are. And once, once the image goes, a funny thing happens to, to the emotion. We always look at emotions, we judge emotions as being positive or negative. Anger is, is bad, and, um, uh, oh, I don't know, vulnerability is good, right? We label them, I mean, almost automatically. I mean, the emotion almost presents itself in this light. It's a negative emotion, obviously. But when the uh, source of the conflict is removed, Anger no longer feels like anger to you. It may look like anger to people outside, by the way. They're still judging it. It's energy. It doesn't have a label. And that energy can be used, if you like, for good or for ill. Do you see what I mean? It's still, it's, it's, nothing's changed, just the label's been taken off it. You're no longer seeing this thing arise and saying, that's anger, that's bad. Here comes this thing arising, what are you going to do with it? This energy. Where are you going to direct it? Are you going to turn it back on yourself and kick yourself? Are you going to kick somebody out there with it? You know, what are you going to do with this energy? It's perfectly, you're absolutely right when, when you s express this. Uh, emotions are part of being human. But the key is to find out what it is to be human. And it's, a, and it's a big mistake on a spiritual path to try to suppress emotions or get rid of emotions or whatever. Sometimes you purposely interfere with uh, emotions. If you habitually get angry and blow off steam, for instance, then it's a good idea to develop a little technique to use. It's just a device to use to allow you to have insight, not to make yourself over. You know what I mean? To before you get angry, count to three or something like that, you know? Gives you a little bit of that uh, openness that she was talking about, that sense of a little bit of patience and, and room, just a little space there to see what's going on. It's hard to see when you're wrapped up in dramatic emotions like that. But it's never the emotion that's the problem. And the point of it about a spiritual path is not to become, you know, some uh, stoic yogi in a cave. This is often the ego's dream. You know, oh, I, I, I'll get rid of suffering here. I won't experience any emotion. Mm -hmm. This must be what the spiritual path is about. Mm -hmm. I'll be able to sit there impassively as children are born and die and animals are tortured and, you know, it won't, never won't affect me. But this is... This is the ego's ultimate dream to be God. It's the most selfish uh, uh, image there is. So you're right. It's not about getting rid of emotion. It's about getting to know what it really is. That day-to-day -day curiosity is, as this stuff arises so important on the spiritual path. You sort of said this already, but just another light on that same theme of that um, we tend, psychology generally tends to give us these two choices, and our experience gives us these two choices of either expressing emotion or oppressing them. 
but what he's talking about is a third option to like see it very clearly and then it kind of transforms on its own you know it's like if you really are open to it as it is it's it's not the emotion that's the problem it's our reaction to it or our you know, idea that it should be different or that this is good and this one's bad or you have to do the work of investigation. That's really the whole key, you know? The precepts, they set up a situation for you. It's a little laboratory in where you can see things clearly. And then, and it's, it's a wonderful insight, by the way, just to see that. Just what you see so clearly when you're in the hospital with your, with your yeah. you know. That itself is the insight. That itself is the clarity. Not what, not how you're going to handle or do it, but you know. And when you can start to experience that as the clarity and the insight, uh, and the and the object of the practice, then the other stuff recedes in importance. Do you know what I mean? Then you then you you say, oh oh, look what I've seen about myself. Boo -hoo, boo -hoo. <laughs> but never mind the boohoo. You see, there's a there's a way of seeing that's beyond the, the boohoo's going on too. You know? Right, yeah. Oh, there I go again. You know? Self-pity, and they're like, oh, isn't that interesting? I mean, part, you know, the old self, the habitual self is going, oh, I should be better than this. And you're saying, oh, isn't that, look at this. This is fascinating how this suffering works. There she is. You see what I mean? That is, you know, this is the um, purpose. I'm not doing anything. It'll do. It'll do when it's ready. You know, something will open up. That's the key to it. Don't worry about doing it because you know when you see it so clearly, and then you're just stuck right there with it. And you're like, ah, how do I feel this? I have a, one of my favorite images is that if spiritual path is like somebody walking around with a hot coal in their hand, and they have a burning, horrible pain in their hand, and they don't realize that it's because they're walking around with a hot coal in their hand, and a spiritual teacher's job is to point out. You're carrying a hot coal in your hand. And they don't believe you. And they don't notice. And they look and they say, where? Who? You know, and uh, all over the place. What can I do? And then they want to know, what can I do about this pain? And uh, you just say, look, you're carrying a hot coal. The minute you see that you're carrying a hot coal, you don't think about it. Your hand opens and the coal drops. There's nothing to do about it. it the key is to see it. The key is to see the cause of suffering for yourself. When you really thoroughly see it, you don't have to do anything about it. The hand opens and it drops. Yeah. So it's this, it's developing this, this curiosity. It's giving up this idea that we, from birth that we have, that we can fix the world or fix ourselves or do something. It's only a question of finding a better way to do. The spiritual path is not about finding a better way to do, except in a very, very limited practical sense. Which, and even in that sense, that better way to do is only designed to show you, to allow you to see, not to do. And in the seeing, the doing changes of its own. This is why Meister Eckhart said, you know, let God work, let man be free. Okay, let's uh, call the formal part of the morning over, and you're welcome to stay and have tea and check out the library and 
hang out and just talk if you want.